everybody, my name is Pastor Kay, and welcome to another episode of Take Action. I am so excited about what we're going to share today, because I'm finding out more and more that many people are looking for the how-tos and the steps on how to go from, say, the past to the present, or like, as I like to say, from history to destiny. I'm so excited about the lesson that I'm going to teach you today, and I think that it'll work across all genres, across all denominations, across all uh, idioms of thought. Uh, It is a really, really good lesson that I think uh, will help you to go from pain to promise, uh, from just existing to thriving. Um, And I'm going to give you those steps in just a moment. Hey, I just want to take a moment to really thank all of you all who have I've been taking this journey with us all month on becoming debt free. And uh, we're really, really excited about uh, the prospect of canceling over $70 million in debt just submitted by those of you all online, not even including the people who submitted it in the house. And so we've decided this is not just going to be a month. This is going to be a lifestyle. We're going to continue to talk about how we can go from glory to glory and from level to level. Now, you all know that I'm a pastor and I love to share the word of God. But every once in a while, we put a little principle in there that can help you to, 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 to live your life outside of the walls of the church. And, uh, you know, when you're at the bank, you're not in the worship service. And when you're talking to a mortgage broker or you're in a title company's office, you're not in a worship center. And so we've got to be able to watch, fight and pray. Right. We've got to be able to do the things of the faith and also uh, take the spoils of the land. So walk with me on this journey. You're going to hear different things from me uh, of ways of getting connected on a more intimate basis. So that way you and I can have a holistic and rounded conversation about what is next for you and in your life. And I want to continue to ask you to partner with me. They're getting ready to put a link up on the screen right now and will throughout this periodically show you how you can give directly through Givelify and other idioms of thought and other uh, avenues of thought, I should say, as it relates to giving uh, so that we can continue to do the work of the kingdom, uh, whether it is uh, I had a great meeting today uh, with uh, somebody who's helping us to bring on a dream center coordinator that will help us to educate and to feed uh, and to talk about uh, renter, uh, renter's help and, uh, um, and housing and all of the things that we're going to do through our uh, business center and our dream center and helping you to, to just be holistic. And that's for those of you all who live in the Houston area uh, and have access to the campus. And then for those of you all online, we're doing things all around the world. We're talking about the park that we're building. Uh, I just had a conversation with the Minister of Tourism and uh, got some specs on what our design will be. I say our design, what our design will be on building that park for the boys and girls uh, and the children uh, who are growing up there on the island of Anguilla. So make sure you download Givelify. And uh, if you're a text giver and all of that, uh, we've got all of that for you. But the lesson that I want to talk to you today Um, And here's the subject. I want you to write this down. These are the 12 don'ts of a tough conversation. The 12 don'ts of a tough conversation. Just raise your virtual hand um, if you are the kind of person who has had a tough conversation in the last 30 days. Just raise your virtual hand. Because I know some of us probably didn't raise our virtual hand, and it is not because... We didn't need to have a tough conversation. 
it's probably because most of us are afraid to have them. That when we don't know the outcome and we don't know how people are going to respond, are you that kind of person I know I used to be that would just hold it in and boil on the inside? And I'm telling you right now, that's not healthy. That's not healthy. You've got to find a way to express yourself without having having an anxiety attack. You've got to find a way to express yourself without wanting to fight all the time. You, you have to find a way to express yourself without putting all these parameters of putting your gun out of reach and make sure you don't have your blade and your knife uh, at your disposal. Why? Because you don't trust yourself. I really want you to get to the place where you can talk to anybody and to trust yourself. And, and, and I want to share something with you, and I'm going to use a scripture uh, to help you with this because a lot of people ask me a lot of the times, Pastor, how do you succeed? Pastor, how do you stay under control? Pastor, how do you do this and how do you do that? And I have discovered that success includes not shooting yourself in the foot. Please write that down. Like that is the first thing you can do to be successful. You may not know what business you're going to start yet. Okay, you may not know what company you want to work for. You may not even know what you want to do as it relates to graduating from school or college if you're young enough to watch this. Or perhaps you're going back to school and you don't know what you're going to do. My first piece of advice for you is that while you're trying to figure out what you're going to do next, don't shoot yourself in the foot in the process. I want to read a scripture to you, and I want to read several verses. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verse number one. The Bible says, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans on how Jesus was to be executed. I want to tell you right now, you can't shoot yourself in the foot because somebody is already planning your execution. No sense of harming you when there are already forces assigned to harm you. So they bound him, talking about Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Verse three says, and this is a guy, you know, I'm going to introduce him into the conversation. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned and he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. This is what Judas said. He says, I have sinned. Because let me tell you, the people who harmed you, they know it. They may not have apologized yet. They may not have texted you yet. They didn't direct message you yet. Uh, but, but they know what they did. And he says, for I have betrayed, key point, innocent blood. Innocent blood. What is it? He says, what is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money um, into the temple and left. And when he went away, here is what I want you to hear. He hanged himself. See, Judas, he shot himself in the foot because Judas actually had betrayed a man whose whole ministry was built on grace. The same thing that Jesus did for Peter at Pentecost after Peter denied him is the same grace that God was willing to extend to Judas even for betraying him. But because Judas couldn't wait on the grace, he shot himself in the foot, or no pun intended, hung himself, and he died. 
And the scripture says that his guts literally spilled on the floor. He, he shot himself in the foot because he could have been one of the most successful men in history. But because he could not abstain from harming himself as a result of his own actions, or for metaphoric language, metaphorically speaking, shooting himself in the foot, we now see him as a villain of history. You've never in your life ever met anybody who named their child Judas. His name is taboo, can't even be used. Why? Because he shot himself in the foot. So I want you to understand, my mother used to tell me this all the time. She would say, Keon, don't put your foot in your mouth. She would say, she would say to me, and maybe your mother knew my mom, she would always say, you're always talking when you shouldn't be talking. And then when it is time to talk, you don't have anything to say. That, that would be when I got in trouble in school and the teacher would tell her that I got in trouble for talking in the class. And then when she would come up to the school to find out what I did, I wouldn't have anything to say. I would put my foot in my own mouth. And I want to give you the 12 don'ts, the 12 don'ts as it relates to success and how these conversations that you're having with yourself, you're having with your spouse, you're having with your boss, you're having with your children are probably costing you the success that you can ultimately have. Here's number one. Are you ready? And this is something that we all do. Don't use we when you really mean you. Don't use we when you really mean you. Let me give an example. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18, and I want you to read verses 16 all the way through verse 40. There's a story about a man named Ahab who was a king. He is the husband to a woman named Jezebel. You know about her. And so they were trying to figure out why there was a drought in the land. You go back to chapter 17 of verse King and you find out that there would be no rain, listen, nor dew for three years. So for three plus years, three and a half, according to some writers, no rain, no, no precipitation, no dew. And so Ahab and Elijah, who's the prophet, they're arguing about whose fault it is that there was no rain. Elijah said, it's your fault. Ahab said, nope, it's your fault. Elijah said, not only is it your fault, it's you and your daddy's fault because you guys are the ones that turned away from God and started worshiping Baal. Now, you may not like that conversation, but at least they use the word you. Some people camouflage their frustration by saying we because they think that if they put themselves in the equation, they're disarming the person that they really want to blame. But the problem with using we is you're, you're training the person subconsciously to believe that you're admitting to a behavior that you don't think you're guilty of, and then when they accuse you of the behavior, you defend yourself. Why? Because you didn't mean we. You meant you. You meant you. When God was forgiving us of our sins, Jesus, he didn't say that all of we have sinned to include him and us. He said all have sinned, talking about you and I. 
He didn't say we so that we wouldn't feel bad about sin thinking, oh, well, did God sin too? He was very direct, direct. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If he were using our vernacular, he would have said you. You you guys have sinned and come short of my glory, because when you are trying to get a problem resolved, never use we when you really mean you. Number two. Watch this exercise. Precision. Even when you have and I want to use this word like a fuzzy feeling you, you ever had. Um, this thing inside where you have this conflict with the person, but they have a way of making you feel good. And so you will just forget about the hurt because you're in this moment where you feel good right now. You're in this moment where everything is going well. And so you kind of just forget the pain. But what happens the next time the pain shows up? You go on a list. Well, you hurt me last month. You hurt me last week. You see, you bring it all in because you let those feelings keep you from exercising candor. I'm not saying be mean. I'm just I'm going to put it in this this terminology. Say what you mean. And mean what you say, but don't be mean while you're saying it. You get that? Say what you mean. Mean what you say, but that doesn't have to be. Uh, mean that you have to be mean when you're saying it. Never allow your language to be fuzzy. The Bible says, let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. Try your best to be so precise in your communication that interpretation is not necessary to ascertain the meaning of what you're saying. Jesus was very direct. He says, here is why I am here. I am not here to pacify you. I am not here to make you feel good. I am not here to absolve you of all pain. I have come, number one, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I've come to save and to seek that which is lost. He gave his mission statement. He was very direct and very clear. And that directness is why he was in trouble with Pilate. That directness is why he was in trouble with the Sanhedrin council. So you must understand your directness won't always be appreciated by everybody. But at least you will know within yourself that you are honest, that you are upfront, that you didn't allow your language to be fuzzy. Therefore, you can have a more suitable conversation. Here's the third don't of a tough conversation. Do not press through when emotions are high. Do not press through when emotions are high. Emotional stress limits creative solution finding, which leads to the most dangerous additive to any conversation, which is self-justification. Now, I know this is good. Some of y'all really need to, like, record this. And you and your spouse need to listen to this before y'all have your next conversation. There's a manager right now who needs to listen to this before you have your morning brain meeting with your team. Before you have your morning team meeting, you, you, you need to hear this. 
when emotions are high, don't press through. That's when the argument comes. That's when the emotional stress limits the creative solution finding. And that's when self-justification enters into the conversation. And that's where the progress stops. Ahab, going back to 1 Kings 18, Ahab and uh, Elijah, listen, I know it's the Bible and they wrote it, but you can almost see these men at each other's throat. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. What do you mean it's my fault? It was you and your daddy. Well, don't be talking about my daddy. Can you see how this thing is getting escalated? And at the end of the day, the drought didn't end as a result of that conversation. You could be trying to end something that will only persist because your conversation about the right thing is going the wrong way. The whole point of this was to get the rain to come back. The crops are dead. The animals are dead, right? Let's use your vernacular. Just imagine in your neighborhood that you got this nice house. Isn't it amazing, those of you all who have front yards, that when it rains, the first thing that we think about is, ooh, I ain't got to run my sprinkler system. Rain allows you to reserve your resources. And when there is no rain, and I'm talking about metaphorically speaking, you end up having to use what you stored up because the drought makes you use the savings. I'm wondering how many of you watching me today are going bankrupt in some area of your life because you don't know the don'ts of productive conversations. That you don't talk when your emotions are high. That you don't press forward. That you don't stress the limits of the relationship, which, which really is stressing the limits of your emotions, which leads to self-justification. And how many of you have ever been in a situation where somebody brings you a situation, but you start justifying yourself, and now the conversation becomes about how you were afflicted and not about the person who actually brought the conversation up to talk about it in the first place? These are the don'ts. Of conversation, And you can see all of this in 1 Kings 18. It never got them where they wanted to be. It only exposed them, which brought us to the fourth thing. Don't drag things out. Very simple stuff. You got to take emotional breaks to cool off. That's, that's, that's really connecting to number three, not pressing through when your emotions are high. And creating emotional stress levels that don't contribute to solution finding. They contribute to a decline in your health. They contribute to the amount of medications you have to take just to keep your emotions stable. They contribute to the insecurities that come with not being affirmed by people who are afraid to speak to you because they anticipate your response. I hope I'm helping somebody. Urgency is appropriate if the issue is important. But everything that frustrates you, I know this is going to hurt your feelings. Everything that frustrates you is not important. Just because it made you mad doesn't mean it was important. 
Sometimes it highlights a weakness in our character that we tend to give attention to things that don't really matter. That really don't matter. And we end up dragging things out for one month, two months. How many of y'all know that person? They won't speak to you, and then when they do get over it after the fourth day, they have speak to you. After the second week, then they sort of speak to you, and then two months later, then they're back to normal, only to fall into the cycle again at the next moment of conflict. See, when your emotions are unstable, it is an indicator that you are the type of person that lets things drag on too long. This is why Ahab and Elijah couldn't come to a consensus about the real issue. The real issue is that Ahab and his father had turned all of the people in the area, along with his wife Jezebel, into worshiping Baal. There is one, one theologian in one verse in the Bible that says that there were 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah was the only prophet of the Lord, plus another 400 prophets of the groves, which means there are another 850 prophets worshiping Baal, one prophet worshiping God, and only 7,000 people in the land had not bowed to Baal. I want you to think about walking out of your house right now. I want you to think about the movie, The Purge. And you walk out of your house, and you live in a city where there are a million people, or where there are 200,000 people, or where there are even uh, 80,000 people, and only 7,000 people have not been affected by the current atmosphere. That, that, that 77,000 are, are, are uh, 1.9 million out of 2 million, or, or if you live in a big city uh, where there are 3 million people and 2.95 million of the people have a certain disease or have a certain mindset, and you're one of the only ones that don't. Because if you gather the intelligence emotionally that I'm giving you, you will be in the minority because you don't know a lot of people who can handle a lot of stress without coming into conflict with the 12 don'ts of a tough conversation. How many of you all will raise your virtual hand and say, Pastor, if I get upset, ain't no telling what I might say. If you get on my nerve, I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness because I'm going to pop off. Just going to raise your virtual hand. I know you saved, Pastor. I know you, sa I know you saved, Deacon. I know you saved, uh, a praise team member. I, I know you're saved. But how many of you will admit that if, if somebody say the wrong thing, ain't no telling. Oh, you got to have to stick with me because I know you're like, where he going with this? I got something for you at the end of this. I'm getting ready to show you the difference between people who stay in pits and people who end up in palaces are typically determined by what you say in tough times. Oh, just stick with me.
Number five, never have the same conversation three times. That's my rule of thumb. Never have the same conversation three times. The first time, it's a bad mistake. Second time, bad decision. Third time, won't be one. Because at that time, what you're seeing is you're dealing with somebody who, is, who has accepted the unacceptable behavior, which will only persist until they get you to see their perspective. You have to impose high standards for your argumentative attention in your life. Everything should not rise to the level of us conflicting with the 12 don'ts of tough conversations. Sometimes you just have to say, you got it. I understand. You're right. Here's one. I'm wrong. When Judas was hanging from that tree, he shot himself in the foot. He eliminated his ability to reconcile with God. There would be plenty of people worse than Judas, but they would be alive to receive the grace. Judas hung himself. Why? Because he didn't want to have a tough conversation. Are you getting this? He didn't want to have to look at Jesus and say, yeah, man, you put me over the money. You brought me into the group and I left you hanging. I betrayed you for 30 pieces of silver. He didn't have the guts to face Jesus, which is why his guts were on the ground. He violated the principles of having a tough conversation. He didn't even know it wasn't going to be as bad as he anticipated. Just think about all of the things Jesus said to people who took him through things earlier. Imagine him being on the cross and, and they spitting on him and, and they throwing rocks on him and, and they lying on him and they cursing him out. That Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's not as bad of a conversation as you think it will be. Now, I know people are not God, and God is definitely not people. But there are some people that if you come to correct, you can resolve the matter. Everybody in the world right now is upset with each other. You got the Democrats, can't stand the Republicans. Republicans can't stand the Democrats. You got the people who watch Fox News hate the people who watch CNN and the people who watch CNN can't stand the people who watch Fox News. Let's we even have religious wars. Come on now. Let's be honest. You got this denomination that don't like that denomination. This pastor don't like that pastor. This side of town jealous of that side of town. And all we got to do is have a conversation because we have more in common than we have apart. The chief priests, the chief priests in verse 6 of Matthew 27, 
He said he picks up the coins and said, it is, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for the foreigners. Verse 8 says, that is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded. All because he could not have a tough conversation. He had already violated the principles in his heart. He wasn't going to be able to maintain his emotional stress levels. He was not, he was going to self-justify. He, he, was, he, was, he was never going to let it go. So he wrapped a rope around his neck and he hung himself. Which brings me to the sixth point. Forget about offering options when you're not willing to discuss them. If the conversation is just going to be about you giving direction, well, just go ahead and do what you're going to do. Because in order to have a tough conversation, you can't just come with directives. You have to also bring your attention. How many of you have ever had a conversation with a person who was only quiet enough until you shut up long enough to give them ability to respond? Not that they were listening to what you were saying, but they were only quiet long enough to justify what they already had in mind. Raise your virtual hand if you've ever been in a conversation like that. There is no way that I'm going to be able to get all of this to you in one lesson. I feel literal deliverance. Like this is more than a Bible study, right? This is like, this is like being in a counseling session. This is like being on the therapist's couch because some of you, all of you are honest, you're guilty of all six. And if you're not guilty of all six, you're in love with somebody who's guilty of four out of the six. And if you're not in love with somebody who's guilty of four out of the six, you've been raised by somebody by the end of this that will be guilty of all 12. And you're struggling, struggling to hold on and maintain relationships. Struggling to figure out why the dating life that you live sucks. Struggling to figure out when is my spouse going to just arrive like my cousins did or my sisters did? Listen, conversation rules the nation. If you don't learn how to talk in tough times, you'll never have long-term relationships. This is a skill set that you need for business, for marriage, for ministry, for parenting. This is a skill set that will lead you from glory to glory. I know it to be true. Hey guys, I wasn't going to be able to finish that. I wasn't able to finish it. Listen, I want you to come back next week 
and I'm going to give you the other six because we could not get it all in one lesson. So I want to thank you so much for being with me in the first six because I just got overwhelmed. I started feeling like, oh my God, I'm taking the people through too much. But you tuned in to take action. You tuned in for a lot. And I've just given you the first six don'ts of having a tough conversation. I want you to plan to be with me next week because I'm going to surmise the first six and then I'm going to give you the other six. And let me tell you, the reason why I put this in 12 is because God reproduced his entire lineage through the 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 pieces of bread on the table of showbread in the tabernacle. I believe there is something significant about the number 12. I want you to do me a favor right now. Those of you all who haven't already, I want you to go online right now to our GiveLify app, or if you're a text to giver, or you give through our app, and I want you to give a gift in the multiples of 12. Some will do 12, some will do 24, some will do 36, some will do 48, <clears throat> on and on and on and on. But I want you to find a miracle of 12, and I want you to sign $12 to everything you need God to turn around in your life. Every, every person that you want to reconcile a relationship with, every situation that you want to fix, I want you to attach a $12 seed to it. And I believe that God is going to reward those who diligently seek him. I want to thank you so much for being here with us on this episode of Take Action. And let me tell you, it ain't finished. You're going to have to come back next week because I'm going to give you the next 12 steps, a six, I should say, pardon me. I'm going to give you the next six steps on how to complete the 12 steps to get you to where you want to be. You can look at it like a 12-step program. We're going to get from glory to glory. First six steps have been given. I'm going to come back next Tuesday and give you the next six, and you will have 12 different rocks in your bag for the giants that the enemy is going to send at you.